talk about Josiah and hungry hearts. With each of the core values, we're going to be taking one of the kings in Jerusalem in the Old Testament and unpacking how they bring us to that core value. And today we begin with 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 and 2. So if you will stand with me for the reading of God's Word just for a moment. Josiah, King Josiah. Now, we just talked about children and praying for children, how we care for children. Get this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Wow, an eight-year-old president. <laughs> Josiah was eight years old. I think our, our president's 80, right? Anyway, eight. Eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Thank God. God, give us a generation like that. Even though his father was a spiritual mess, even though he, his father only land, ended up ruling for two years because his own inner circle hated him so much that they assassinated him. And in spite of the fact that his father had put idols and turn, on every street corner in Jerusalem, they were doing horrendous things to children, there was sexual exploitation, there was demonism everywhere in Jerusalem. Thank God this eight-year-old little boy did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And I believe that God is raising up a Josiah-class generation today. So I'm going to be directing my remarks, especially to the younger half of you. And if you need a number, let's say to those of you under 40. Now, if you're over 40, it's not your fault. This stuff just happens. You hit it and you keep going. But I think it would be something for everybody, but I especially have you who are under 40. You're our hope. I believe God's raising up a Josiah-class generation. So will you agree with me that we welcome the heart-shaping work of God's Holy Spirit? Come, Lord Jesus, as we come to your word in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Josiah and hungry heart. So let's look at Josiah's hungry heart. We just saw that at eight years old he became the king in Jerusalem, inheriting an economic, social, and spiritual mess from his father. But it says in the next verse that we didn't quite get to a minute ago, it says in the next verse, verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, that would make Josiah, what, 16 years old now. When Josiah was 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. He became a God seeker. Hunger for the Lord began to shape in his young 16-year-old heart. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And you wonder, how can that be when everything that surrounded him as a teenager was opposite to where his heart was going. And we begin to see that, that Josiah, it's a name, you know, it's a name we've heard of somewhere else. And if we punch the rewind button of history and go back 13 generations of kings, there's a moment when Solomon has died and his son becomes the king. Solomon's son becomes the king. And he unfortunately is a very insecure and incompetent king. 
And he's so insecure that he just keeps caving in to the, to the peer pressure of his friends, his own age. And, and, he, and he makes light of the, of the wisdom and counsel of older, more seasoned people. And in the process, he makes decisions that create a rebellion. And, and the whole northern part of Israel, the ten northern tribes of Israel, just say, we've had it with you. And they rebel, and their rebellion leader is a guy by the name of Jeroboam. And in order to keep people from going back to, to Jerusalem, where Solomon's son was ruling, in order to worship at the temple, in order to keep that from happening, to keep the northern tribes from ever turning their hearts back to the king of Jerusalem, or the true God, Jeroboam, in this rebel movement he's leading, he sets up an idol-worshiping center in the north of Israel, in Dan. Uh, a few of us were there just a few weeks ago. It's all excavated. It's all legit. This really happened. And in the south, uh, farther south, in Bethel, or Bethel, the house of God, the place where the tabernacle was. And what they do in defiance of the living God is he sets up golden calves for them for them to worship. This is what opens them to the demonism. This is what opens them to burning their children in the fires and sacrifice to their God. Horrible, horrendous, evil. And he sets up these, these worship sites to false gods. Well, he's in the one in Bethel in 1 Kings 13, 1 and 2. And here are the words on the screen. By the word of the Lord, a man came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. So he's, he's about to offer sacrifices to demons. This rebel leader of northern Israel. And, and, and this, this nameless man of God comes out of nowhere. And it says, by the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. And he says, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. And then this is stunning. A son named, who? Josiah. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. So that would be like somebody like decades and decades and decades ago standing here in the Ozarks and saying, someday the guy by the name of Jim Bradford will be a pastor here. I mean, well before I was ever born. Well before I ever had a name or identity, let alone a call from God. Thirteen generations of kings earlier, this prophet names Josiah by name. In other words, Josiah has a prophetic destiny on his life. And this seems to be gestating in his young heart. So at eight years old, he becomes king, and by the time he's 16, he's seeking after the Lord, not conforming to the culture around him. Because there's prophetic destiny gestating in him. And then if we go back to 2 Chronicles 34, where we, where we began describing Josiah at 8 years old and, and six, 16 years old, verse 3 continues this way, in his 12th year as a king. That would put him at 20 years old. It's like... It's like a switch gets turned on inside his soul. And he literally goes on a holy rampage. In this 12th year, he, Josiah, began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places and of Asherah poles and idols. Under his directions, the altars of the Baals were torn down. 
There are idols on every street corner in Jerusalem, and he starts to clean the city out of everything erected to demonism and exploitation. He confronts the idolatry of his time. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them. He smashed the Asherah poles, which were related to, to blatant sexual immorality and the idols. And these he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And then in direct fulfillment of that nameless man of God, 13 generations earlier, he burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Jerusalem and Judah. This was a young man with a prophetic destiny on him. I started thinking about Josiah and praying about Josiah many years ago. And uh, long enough ago that some of you have heard me preach on the Josiah generation in other settings. There, there, there is, I believe, a generation of young people, a Josiah-class generation that God wants to raise up. Some of them may be alive already. A, a generation that's going to do what my generation could not do. A generation that will truly confront the idolatries of our time and turn people back to God. I'm praying there'll be a spirit-anointed, prophetic generation that God will raise up. And Josiah becomes a picture of that generation. And the question before us this morning is, this guy born to such a hopelessly disappointing father and inheriting an absolute spiritual mess and social mess and he becomes a king at eight years old and what is he going to do? I mean, what did Josiah do to be ready for that moment of God's destiny on his life? And I want to suggest to you... Josiah would have had to have won two battles. One battle against, it's the battle of his attitude. And that's one of the great battles in every one of our lives. A battle for our attitudes. And the second battle would be the battle that's going on in every one of us for our affections. Our attitudes and our affections. And Josiah had every reason to go corrupt on both of those levels. But he won the battle, first of all, with his attitudes. Josiah, get this, Josiah obviously did not let cynicism cripple him. Now, cynicism's in the air. It's everywhere. We don't trust institutions anymore. We don't even trust our parents can stay together anymore. We, Congress has an all-time low approval re- rating Uh, Apparently, our president, unfortunately, right now has an all-time low approval rating. Uh, Half the people you work with in your job probably are somewhat cynical about the higher-ups in your company. I mean, we have learned to distrust authority. We have learned to question institutions and organizations. And we kind of live with a socially acceptable cynicism these days. And cynicism is not the ability to think critically. I hope you're all smart enough to be critical thinkers. What makes cynicism different than critical thinking is that it becomes toxic and paralyzing. Cynicism is toxic and paralyzing because it adds to critical thinking betrayed trust. When the people in the institutions we should have been able to have count on fail us. 
And the pain of betrayed trust mixed with the ability to think critically create this toxic brew of cynicism. And the problem with that toxic brew is it doesn't energize you. It just makes you give up. I hear cynical people say, it's hopeless. Institutions, authority, they're all hopeless. And if it's hopeless, then you cave in on yourself. You become passive when it comes to change because it's hopeless. So why do anything but live for yourself? The problem is that cynicism also feels justified. We've got a lot of reasons to be cynical. And Josiah could have put himself at the front of that parade. I mean, this poor guy, what he inherited from a father he should have been able to count on. What he inherited in his own family life. What he inherited in the social, economic, and spiritual life of Jerusalem. He inherited a kingdom that was demonic and in shambles instead of serving the living God. The temple of God was in disrepair. Religious worship was dysfunctional. I mean, he inherited a mess. And, and I, I just resonate to this in my own heart. Because in case you hadn't noticed... I'm an aging baby boomer. I was born somewhere between 1946 and 1964. <laughs> sure is to guess, that's all I'm saying. I'm an aging baby boomer. And my heart grieves. If you're under 40, my heart grieves over the spiritual mess that my generation has left you. I mean, I was a teenager in the 1960s and all of the rebellion and the activism of the 60s and we rebelled against some legitimate things but we also rebelled against parental authority. My generation just invented the generation gap. What a horrible thing. I remember thinking anybody over 30 years old is hopelessly out of it. And my generation invented the sexual revolution with the free love movement, with the hippie movement the sexual revolution. You know what? Uh, we blew off the constraints. Why live with somebody, only people who make a lifelong covenant to you? No. Let's just throw it all out. Just get what we want. If it feels good, do it. That was the motto I grew up with as a teenager in the 1960s. We just threw it off. And so the sexual revolution came. And so no wonder my generation superintended abortion on demand, no-fault divorce, the dismantling of the family, and the generation of the multi-billion dollar pornographic industry. All of that came under the oversight of my generation. On top of that, my generation bought into materialism and self-centeredness and narcissism as an acceptable ethic of life. We became the, the act, activism of the 60s, post-Watergate, post-Vietnam, sort of collapsed into the meism of the 70s and the greed decade of the 80s. And, and boy, are we a mess today. On top of it, my generation bought into Eastern mysticism and the drug culture. It was LSD and acid back then in the 60s. But now the drug epidemic and, and the mass numbers of deaths in our nation, it's tearing apart. The drug culture is tearing apart cities in America, both rural and urban. And I want to tell you, 
my generation is the one that is passing that on to those of you under 40. I'm ashamed of what my generation has passed on to you. And I would stand here and say, you have every reason to be cynical. But the fact is, I just believe God's going to raise up a new generation, a godly generation. And speaking of the church, I just decided to throw this in. I mean, if ever we've seen cynicism against the church, and some of it we deserve, but it's today. Barna recently, five, five reasons people have stopped attending your church, he titled it, especially millennials. They find that the church is irrelevant and its leaders hypocritical. God forgive us. It's not everywhere, but God forgive us wherever it is. God's missing in the church. They say, what, what a thing to come to church and get entertainment and hype and noise, but there's no God there. And, and legitimate doubt is prohibited. What, what a shame we'd have churches where it's not safe to ask our honest questions. And they're not learning about God. They're getting motivational speeches to how to live a more successful life. But we're not learning God's word. We're not getting to know him. We're not walking in intimacy with him. And we're not finding community. We leave church as lonely as we came to church. No wonder people are cynical about the church. May I just say these five core values we're talking about, if we lived these core values, none of that would be true of Central Assembly. We can turn that around. But there's all kinds of reasons to be cynical. But as one college student friend of mine said to me, he said, Jim, he said, you know, sometimes it gets old just being cynical all the time. Josiah confronted all of the realities of his culture, including all, all of the permission slips to become a cynical young teenager. And he somehow won that battle of his attitudes. Listen, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be cynical. Because God's called you out. And he's raising you up to be a new generation. He's who you, as we sang this morning, he's who the great I am says you are. You don't need to blend in the attitudes. Attitudes are unbelievably contagious. They're the one thing that are more contagious than COVID. Attitudes. But I'll tell you, God's raising up a generation that's going to defy the cynicism of our age and say there is hope. God is on the move. And we're taking the gospel to every nation as impossible as it feels. And we believe that our, our friends can meet Christ and come to him. I talked to at the end of the first service a lady who's a professor in China who is teaching at MSU and she was just in tears. She says almost magical what's happening here. She said it's like the spirit of God was moving upon her. I want to tell you God's on a mission to reach people to touch their lives. This is not the day to be paralyzed with cynicism. Say there's no hope. Why should I ever try? God is moving in our world. And we ought to be the most hope-filled, happy people on the face of the earth because we're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He also won the battle with his affections. Now hang with me here. I'm going to be pretty honest. He also won the battle with his affections. Josiah did not secretly love the things that God was going to call him to confront. He didn't secretly love those things. But rather... Rather, and I, I know that there's some movement, if you could just stay really focused on me, if you would, 
This is really important. He did not secretly love the things that God was calling him to confront. We live in a very polluted world. Holiness, though, is not an old-fashioned word. We need holiness. We need the happiness of holiness in our lives. We need the passion for purity in our lives. If God, you're going to confront the things that are tearing apart our world, you can't do that with any kind of spiritual authority if you are secretly loving and indulging in those same things. Listen, you do not, if you're a young man, young woman of God, you do not need pornography in your life. You do not need drugs and alcohol. You, you, you do not need rotten, disrespectful attitudes. You do not need to be taken advantage of your friends and to, have, and to be a grumpy person. You do not need these things in your life. You do not need just to cave in to your friends and say, well, all, all, all the biblical sexuality, where the, some of the greatest battles in our culture with the church are going to happen and are already happening as we've seen this week, things related to sexuality and the sanctity of life and all of these things. These are things you don't need to cave in, but you can hold to the living God and walk the pathway of purity. Therefore, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. This is what Josiah did. He touched no unclean thing in his life. He didn't start secretly worshiping in the idol altars and giving himself to the sexual exploitation and the evil that was associated with them. But instead, Paul says, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. He was quoting from the Old Testament. And I will be a father to you. In this fatherless generation, I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And First Peter writes this, so realistic for you and me, if we're trying to live for Christ in this culture. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and distressful idolatry. He says, you've done your time with that, and it's over. You're a new person in Christ. And, and he said, and here's the reality. Not everybody's going to like you. They're going to be surprised that you don't join them like you used to in their reckless, wild living. And they're probably going to abuse, heap abuse on your head. But listen, there's no excuse when you have the power of the Holy Spirit and the mission of Jesus and a prophetic destiny on your life. There's no excuse not to stand apart. The fire of Jesus can be stronger and more powerful in your life than the pressure that your peers put on you. So what? They pile abuse on you. We belong to the living God. And we love holiness. And we're going to walk in His way. And not in the way of unholiness. It's destroying everybody's life around us anyway. And so Josiah won these two battles. He won the battle for his attitudes. And he won the battle. He won the battle for his affections. He defied cynicism. And he chose holiness. How do you do that? How could that be? Well, I think the antidote to, for wrong attitudes and for wrong affections, the antidote is simply this, staying hungry for God. 
It's what Josiah did at 16 years old. Josiah's life's described in 2 Chronicles, but it's also described in 2 Kings, which tell its own version of, of the uh, kings in Jerusalem. And in 2 Kings, it says this in verse 25, and the worship teams can come now. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. I'm praying about a Josiah generation. Some of you might be in this room today. I would love if it could be said of you neither neither before the baby boomers <laughs> nor after was there a generation like this who turned to the Lord like Josiah did? Not just partly, not just kind of doing a little bit of Christian stuff and thinking we might not go to hell, but with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with God's way. May it be. Do you agree with me? that God would raise up a generation. I think that generation's coming. I'm seeing evidence of teenagers that are beginning, even in our own church, that are beginning to be hungry for God like never before. I want to tell you, it's hard to be cynical and it's hard to love sin when you're just going after God with all your heart and all your soul. And you're just hungry for Him. And so at 16 years old, 2 Chronicles 34 tells us, at 16 years old, Josiah began to seek the God of his father, David. 